Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick, welcoming you to another episode of Vet Chats, the UK's number one veterinary podcast. And I'm so pleased to have an old friend and colleague, Owen Atkinson, on the line today. Owen is the owner of the Dairy Vet Consultancy, working on the Cheshire, Shropshire borders, very much looking at how can we do uh, dairy farming and dairy vetting in a more strategic way. Um, So, Owen, first of all, thanks very much for coming on. We are of a similar vintage. Um, As I was saying, (laughs) I got picked out of dairy dairy vetting quite early on in my career. Uh, You've managed to stay the course. And, of Uh course, the business itself is 10 years old, which is always a testimony of success. If you can have a business, you know, like ourselves as well, that's lasted over 10 years, we must be doing something right, mustn't we? Well, you're starting... It's, uh, morning, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. But you're starting off with all the platitudes to butter me up. But I'm not your vintage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm not, a little bit, I think I'm a little bit younger. You're a 90s vet. Come on. <laughs> I am. I qualified in 1994, yes. Well, I was vet. 1990, so I'm not that far. <laughs> but no, it's great to, it's great to have you on. Um and I think we wanted to talk today about just the changing role of vets. I mean, I'm very much four years earlier than you, uh, a disciple, at least partly of James Herriot. I mean, I wanted to be a vet from when I was eight. Uh-huh. Um, I remember um, the old story of I was in the junior school playground and one of my friends stood on a baby sparrow by mistake. And I said, oh, if I'd have been a vet, I could have saved that sparrow's life. And then, of course, as I get a bit older, I started reading the James Herriot books, Gerald Durrell books, you know, a lover of animals. And that was me sort of set on my way. Didn't get into vet school first time, um, but managed to get in finally. Um, and and then obviously um, moved through. It, it was interesting. I was at a SPIBS conference, which was the, the year before you qualified. And I remember one of the vets said, who wants to be uh, in mixed practice? And we all put our hands up. And he said, well, mm-hmm. within five years, the majority of you will be small animal vets. And, of course, that kind of is what happened, I think. Mm. Um, very much in the 90s, probably earlier than that, small animal predominated. But if we go back to the beginning of last century, of course, most vets were horse vets, weren't they? Yes, so to answer your original question, I think I was more a more accidental vet than perhaps you described yeah. your path. I was really interested in biology. That was my that was my thing. And, and I think I was more on a route to become a doctor. But I'm from a farming background and I'd been around cows and, and, and other livestock all the way through my childhood. And um, um, I, I, and it was only last minute when I decided to apply for veterinary rather than for medicine. Yeah, but yes, I was a fan of the James Herriot books as well, and of course that was uh, Saturday Night TV. James Herriot mm-hmm. was a big thing, I think, for a lot of our generation. And it is interesting looking back at the history of of where the farm vet evolved from, because my I, I only found this out since becoming a vet myself. But my I think it was my great great grandfather was a horse vet. Mm. <laughs> And he had a son, which is my great grandfather, that he threw out of the house and he went into service where he met my great grandma. Um, they were both working in a big country house where they call it in, in, they call it in those days going into service, I think. Yes. And he threw him out because his interest was in cars in the early days of cars. And he became a chauffeur 
and he met my great grandma who was a, a housemaid in, in his yeah. country house and he threw him out because he was a horse vet and he saw the car the motor car the automobile as the enemy of his profession so he threw him out of the house and in those days as i understand it of my great great grandfather that's what vets were they, 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 it was before the before vets were, before the companion animal veterinary sector was, was even embryonic, I guess, in those days, and even before farm vets. So farm vets came about after the 1940s, 90, and, 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 and had a big rise in the 1950s in the post-war year, years, which is the James Harriet era. Yeah. And we're a short, we're a short-lived, we're a short-lived bunch, really, because obviously farm vets are on the decline now. You were joking earlier; there's not many of us left, and that's true. You know, we're we're on the decline, having had our uh, our, our huge growth in the 1950s and 60s, probably peaked in the 70s, yeah. <laughs> and and then it's become the profession has moved into the more companion animal sector. It's become more niche. I think that whole idea of even a mixed practitioner vet is becoming less and less common isn't it because the obviously various categories of mixed practice some people doing small and a bit of equine or or small and a bit of large animal yeah. but that's becoming more difficult to do because those small farms don't exist anymore do they or not as much not not so much i mean i i do a lot of work with with vets all around the country so i do st still see lots of lots of mixed vets actually um mm. And it's interesting, you know, I, I'd love to know the answer to this question is what proportion of dairy farm work, for example, which is my that's my sector. You know, what proportion is done by what I would call dedicated dairy vets yes. and what proportion is done by mixed vets. And I suspect it's still probably around 50 50 mm. as in a, a high proportion is still done by by vets who would also do companion animal species, because there's a lot of there's a lot of the UK. I mean, I live in Cheshire, dairy yeah. heartland. So, you know, you very much got your your dairy practice your small animal practice and your equine practices it's a very diversified profession but there's lots of the country and if you look in wales scotland um northern ireland it's a lot of the country which are, are kind of more rural and mm. therefore maybe don't justify having dedicated small animal practices and there is still that mixed that practitioner role mm. it is interesting going back to your great great granddad who was a equine vet of course he did get it right because I, I do talk occasionally about the great horse manure crisis of the 1890s which I'm sure yes. you're aware of which was <laughs> a letter in the times in the 1890s which said you know a bright spark had worked out that within the next 10 to 20 years London would be 10 foot deep in horse manure and um, they actually did a conference in America to try and solve this problem and actually they all walked out they couldn't work it out they were all despairing it's almost like a a sort of climate crisis story but from 100 years ago and in the end of course the the um the clever people at places like Rolls the car the car came to our rescue yeah and, and the car <laughs> rescued us and now of course the car is is, is the big problem. yes is the enemy yeah part of the problem but of course we're now creating electric cars and so on so yeah. in a sense that 40s and 50s that as we were saying from the James Herriot books, it, it, he was almost seen as a, a a sort of lauded figure within the community and, and treated with great deference when he came into the farm. And then that maybe did change in that sort of... Well, and, and it was, you're right, it was a he in those days. Yes. It, it, it would be probably 
almost 100 percent of heat if not 100 yeah. percent heat in those in those 1950s um yes so i talk sometimes about how how the how the farm vet role has evolved from perhaps mm-hmm. if we call James Harry era the, the farm vet 1.0 yeah and sometimes described as a me me relationship so so yeah. a lot of things have evolved but part of the evolution has been that farmer vet dynamic which I'm very interested in that relationship piece and the the farmer would have been in deference to the vet you know Mr Harriet sir here's a bucket of hot water for yeah. you sir and then when I came along by, by certainly by the 1990s, it was, I would call a VET 2.0 phase. And, and I'm interested in the VET 3.0, which is where we are now and where we're headed. But VET 2.0, which, which, which if I could describe that, because I think that typifies very much um, the, the, the profession that I mm. graduated into, would be that the farm vet is a service provider, um, a tradesperson someone who the farmer rings up because they're in difficulty and they want this that and the other they want a farm vet to come out and fix their cow with an lda oh don't come before three o'clock because um we'll be milking oh don't come out don't come after five o'clock because you'll be charging us out of hours oh you will be okay if you manage by yourself so don't you know don't send us an inexperienced uh, your new graduate oh and when you come could you bring um a, a bottle of marbacil and a box of this antibiotic tubes and a and a, and a tub of that antibiotic tubes that's epitomized <laughs> Yeah. The vet 2.0, where the vet is is certainly not lauded, um, and if anything, the power dynamic is is with the farmer because the farmer is calling the shots, um, not necessarily interested even in the vet's opinion. I mean, I'm I'm okay. I'm being a little bit um, catastrophizing the relationship, perhaps, but but that would be classed as the UU relationship. Mm. The VET 3.0, which is the the more collaborative relationship and the one that I'm always striving to achieve, is is that there is no power dynamic in the same sense. You are working as equals, VET and farmer, as professionals both. And you're working as collaborators, both recognizing the strengths that each person brings, the professionalism almost that each person brings to the whole piece which is to improve farming of animals and that needs strategy and it's a totally different approach because it's not it's it's not the vet not being in the role of of fixing things that are already broken um but the vet being there to provide a strategic input in maintaining and improving the welfare and the health of the animals and now Anthony I know this interests you and now improving the health and sustainability of the whole farm mm. and that's a a growing role role of the vet the farm vet is being involved in 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 farm sustainability I from an environmental that, point of view as well as yeah. a point of view well I think that's really important the collaborative side if we work together as a team we're going to accomplish more than if we're um, almost adversarial, which I think, mm. um, you know, can happen. And of it's course, more healthy. Yeah. And it, well, you actually, you know, I, for a short time was on working as a farm vet and you could go onto some farms where you could see that it was a friendly relationship. And some, as you were saying, where it was very much, you know, you are my servant, come at three o'clock. There won't be anybody <laughs> around. You'll just have to get on and do yourself, which obviously is not helpful for anyone. And it's not a pleasant environment to work in is it 
Um, no, and it's fair to point out I was catastrophizing the relation. Yeah, it's, fair no, to, it's fair to point out that a lot of that VET 2.0, yeah. I'd still call it VET 2.0, where the VET is the service provider, is 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 on a friendly basis as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, the majority of farmers are really lovely people. They're working on the land and they're, they're definitely, uh, you know, adding to society. Um, I think the, the point you were making about the strategic is really important because as we start to think and having some time to think strategically and not rushing from one call to the next, you know, it's a milk fever, then it's, you know, mastitis and so on. Even that sort of strategic look now, looking at things like antimicrobial resistance, mm. we've massively yep. reduced the amount of antibiotics we're using on farms. Even dry cow therapy has changed over the last 10 years. Yes, it has. And that is because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you've been able to have more time to, to pour over numbers and look at different ways of solving problems rather than, well, there's a bottle of Marbacil or a bottle of streptomycin, you know, this should sort your problem out. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I guess I'm unusual in, in how I chose to, what I chose to do, Anthony, in my career. So I was a vet in practice for the first 25 years and yeah. 20 years, it must've been 20 years because I'm not that old. And it was 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago, almost to the day when I left practice to set up my consultancy business, Dairy Veterinary Consultancy. And one of the reasons I did that was because I felt at the time I wanted to do more of this strategic preventative work. And yet what was holding me back was some of the baggage that I think you have as a farm vet in practice in, in, the, what, in, in the, how people perceive you, including farmers. Yeah. And... I mean, it was interesting. It was very telling that when I when I left my practice and farmers obviously got to know that I was working out my notice period, um, they asked me what I was going to do. And I said, well, I'm going to start my own consultancy business. And what did that mean, et cetera? And I tried to explain. Mm. And it was, oh, that's a shame. Oh, oh, you won't be a vet anymore. Oh, oh, we'll be sorry to lose you as a vet. You know, and they didn't see me that I would. They, they thought that I wasn't going to be a vet anymore. And that was really telling. And that's kind of why I did it, because yeah. I felt that I was being held back by the perception that that everyone has, farmers included, of what a farm vet could bring to them. And that is someone who can mend broken animals, fix problems, mm -hmm. <laughs> fix problems once they were in that problem situation. And and a lot of vets talk have talked when i was at university we talked about prevention rather than cure and a lot of farm vets really want to do that type of work prevention rather than cure and yet the day-to-day -to, -day to demand from farmers mm. unfortunately still today in 2023 is still cure mm. it's still the phone going for 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 sick animals carvings etc and fertility work which i would say is 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 akin to doing cure because you're not planning for better fertility you're dealing with the cows who aren't who aren't in calf and need to get in calf yeah. and i don't see that as strategic i i, I don't yeah. see that strategic so so I've, I've 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 perhaps not answered your question very clearly because you were originally saying we've got more time now to do that strategic thing stuff i think for farm vets that are still in practice traditional practice yeah i think time is very much the enemy yes. they don't have the time to do the stuff they would like to do and perhaps it's not you know up until recently it's not been 
for a farmer to pay money to get somebody in to talk about their farm. And I think that's the other side of it. You've you yeah, know, hit the nail on the head. You do what, you know, you, you, as a vet, you're you're in business. You have to be in business to be, it's yeah. got to be profitable, otherwise it's not sustainable. Yeah. And you do what people pay you to do. And the demand is for from farmers, to, mm. you know, they, they'll happily pay you for, 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 I, I guess the more, what I would call the traditional role, which it's is fertility car, work yeah, for, yeah. and fertility work, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and they're less likely to pay you for that overarching mm. strategic role. It, it, it's, um, it's, it, it's a hard nut to crack. That is, it, it's mm. something which is changing and it's changed in the 10 years that I've been in my business. So a growing part of my business now is actually working directly with farms, but they tend to be large farms. They tend to be large businesses and they're quite happy to pay my daily rate, which is, you know, it's a professional daily rate. It's circa a thousand pounds a day and they will pay that for me to do training with their farm team or to look at for example last week i was at a, a, a farm looking at, at their foot health and they just wanted a day concentrating on that one issue and they yeah. were happy to invest in that and that's really refreshing to see that i would love to see more of it but i think you've been an early advocate of it and obviously with all of these sort of curves that we have you have the early adopter then you have more people looking at that it makes sense you know, as you said, from university, um, prevention is is cheaper than cure. And so it's something we've talked about, but perhaps we're not doing as much in the dairy industry as we would like, but we're probably doing more than we were 10 years we're ago. We're doing more. Right. I'm, okay. in, I'm impatient. Yeah. Well, you want to do it, don't you? Well, I have a little I have a little saying. I've got it on the wall in front of me, actually. I made a little poster of it, and it's, uh, be the change you would like to see. Yeah, exactly. And I've tried to live by that. And, you know, going back, um, the government has brought in, and I'm, I'm not sure how well they're working, the, the uh, ELMS, the environmental land management um, stuff, which allows a vet to come in and I think spend a certain amount of time. And mm. the vet is paid by the government. Yeah. So at least that's moving in the right direction. I felt quite hopeful about it. And then I've heard sort of rumblings that it's maybe not. I, I mean, I, I always have mixed feelings about these things because, you know, other funded schemes to try and pump prime uh, vets doing this kind of role have have occurred before i'm not particularly yeah. familiar with the elms i'm not in practice now so i'm not it's not it's not a, a pot of money if you like that i'm interested in drawing upon um the flip side is and this is perhaps what you're going to say anthony yourself is that is that unless the farmer's paying for it themselves there is a risk they don't value it yes and that might sound trite but i think it's true yeah and also, it is it enough to to stimulate the vets profession as well ourselves to change our service offering because both sides of the equation have got to be there. You know, there's got to be the demand from the farmer, but we can do a lot as vets to create that demand by setting our stall out in a different way. And I think just a, a visit, you know, a three hundred pound pot of money to pay the vet to go and do a visit, one visit. I'm not sure if it's enough to do it, but yeah. you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will be a little bit of pump priming, and and like I said, I'm impatient. It might all help in, by incremental steps to get to yeah. to get to where I see the future being. Um, I I I I haven't chosen to sort of um, take that funding myself, yeah. and I'm not sure if it's enough by itself in any means 
It, yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because as you say, this sort of change does take time. You know, you're 10 years into your business now. I remember coming and having a drink with you to discuss it 10 years ago. And as I say, we're both still here, so we're doing something right. But um, inevitably, even perhaps what your business plan was 10 years ago will have changed because of circumstances. We've obviously had COVID, we've mm. had lockdowns, etc. All of these things, are, uh, and Brexit obviously wasn't a thing uh, 10 years ago. So all of these things have probably changed um, some of what your business plan was talking about 10 years ago. Yes. Um, so I had a look at my business plan <laughs> recently because it is, it is 10 years and I came across it on my on an old computer file. I came across this thing that I'd written in 2008, actually. Yeah. So I left my practice in 2013. But back in 2008, I was starting to sketch out yes. a kind of future, a different future for myself, one that would be my dream, which mm. isn't which was prevention rather than cure. And and it, I kind of sketched out this business. I think I called it Vet Sense. That was my yeah <laughs> maybe i should have stuck with that it's a dairy veterinary consultancy yeah well it does and, what it says on the tin doesn't it dairy veterinary, yes i've I've, I've had the uh the mickey taken out of me because it's a bit of a mouthful but um yeah, yeah. it cuts down on spam emails oh and yes. i'm at dairy uk but no um it was surprising actually how close to that original plan that i wrote in 2008 2009 i, I still am because i kind of envisaged a different customer base for a start than just farmers and that's been true you know my customers are other vets they are farmers but they're also professionals within the in the dairy industry which includes milk buyers feed manufacturers mm -hmm. semen companies etc um the range of work i do is pretty much as I outlined I would be doing which is some training some strategic planning which sounds very vague but it's quite a big part of what I do actually in terms of working with businesses to sort of look ahead and think okay well you know which way is this going and how can we how can we um, uh, change our offering to mm. meet to meet that future you know that that future yeah. um, prediction um yes i i guess it was pleasing to think that i've managed to achieve some yeah. of those things that were in my dream no that's brilliant and, and i think it's also a testimony to you know we've got the uh the, the facebook group that stay go diversify mm. um, and people sometimes feel trapped in a, a job and they don't know how to, to move on. And I think we both have done similar. You know, you, you started that in 2008, but it was five years before you made the jump. Yes. I kind of fell upon webinars as an idea. And within 18 months, had sold my practice. So You've I done it. concentrate more yeah. on it. I still did my dermatology. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really important thing, isn't it, that sometimes people feel a bit depressed about work, don't want to be a best mm. anymore, and they take in desolation a precipitous step whereas actually if you can strategize and plan out that there is so much that we can do with the degree we don't have to be physically touching animals every day you've made a very good point that. really yeah yeah and and, and actually you, you you make your best decisions when you come from a position of strength and happiness don't yeah, you exactly. it, it, you're right it, it, it's not a good decision to just escape from an yeah. unhappy situation 
um i guess some people feel more trapped than others i'm i'm the type of person that you know when you make a change yeah you're less likely to fear a change ever again and i'm the type of person that's quite happy to make quite radical changes yeah (laughs) you know i've moved before i did what i did I'd, i'd i'd had several jobs within very good practices but every change i'd made seemed to be better than what I was doing before you know yeah. and that that was a positive reinforcement I had so I, I was never afraid mind you that's that's not quite true I was gonna say I was never afraid of making that leap I was hellishly afraid at the time because I was a partner and I was very secure and it was an excellent practice and anyone in their right mind would have stuck with what I already had and a lot of people said to me Owen you're crazy yeah so I was afraid but I guess I had some confidence that change can be a good thing you don't always know how it's going to end up but it can be a good thing just to make a change do you want to become a part of the largest online veterinary community in the world the webinar vets membership is the perfect tool to easily complete your veterinary cpd or ce watch webinars anytime any place on any connected device Become a member today and explore our library of over 2,000 premium quality webinars. We also care about the environment as well as your CPD or CE. That's why we plant trees for every one of our members. To find out more, visit thewebinarvet.com forward slash memberships or click on the membership tab on our website. Change is happening more and more quickly, isn't it? The world is quickening up. And if you are not comfortable with change, I think it makes life more and more difficult. So it's good to see that the the family genes uh, from your great great grandfather, who threw his son out because he wanted to work in motor cars, have <laughs> not translated through to you, or at least it's been diluted over the generations. Diluted out, yes. <laughs> There's been some hybrid vigor coming from other from other uh, lines and things, which is all yes. Good. And change. I mean, this is another subject which is just so fascinating, and it's one something an area I'm I'm very involved with is helping. So, so one of the things I do, Anthony, sorry to explain, I I run I do CPD for farm vets, and and one of the things I do is run a four day uh, course called Herd Health Leadership. Yes, and it is helping farm vets be agents of change with their farm clients herd health leadership yeah. and and i think it's it's hugely important it's a skill that can be learned and i have spent a lot of my years making mistakes along the way and i want to kind of be able to pass on some of the things that i've learned yes. uh, to help younger vets maybe people who are sort of 10 years qualified now who are just looking to farm vets who are, who are looking to take their career to the next level um to, to just fast forward them in, into yeah. that having more confidence to be a a, a leader of cha- leader of change with farm businesses i think it's really important and and you know somebody once said uh, the intelligent person learns from their mistakes but the genius learns from other people's mistakes so if we can have people like yourself as a coach who are passing on your received wisdom from 30 years as a vet, then that's got to be helpful. Mm. Well, I hope so. 29 years. I don't want to age you. uh, (laughs) Thank you. You haven't quite hit that 30 year yet. You're not a decrepit vet. I've still got some some, uh, black hairs here. They're not quite grey yet. Yeah, I've been going grey for quite a long time. (laughs) Um, So... With the change, obviously, the needs or the 
I think there's a movement to change the industry. Even more, there's there's sort of uh, challenges in the with well, with things like you know, one of my uh, pet subjects is very much how do we make the industry more sustainable in every mm. sense of the word, but particularly yes. environmentally. Yeah, um, and you're talking the the, the dairy farming industry. Yeah, I'm guessing you're, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and dairy farming, I think potentially, you know, having spoken to to, to cattle vets, has a has a bad press, and perhaps mm. there are some of the things that we do need to change because we need to get them right. But actually, there's other areas where perhaps the the story that's being told is a bit misleading. I, I particularly look at things like. Even from, you know, a young vet 30 years ago, I always felt, why are we pushing our cows so hard yes. that after five years, we have to call them, you know, would it yes. not be better to push them less hard uh, for them to last seven, eight, nine years, produce yes. milk, um, have them on um, grass rather than on concentrates? That seemed to me to be a more sustainable way. But of course, yes. if we look at that, sometimes... Um, from a carbon footprint perspective, people will say that's more heavy on the carbon than actually having a very intensive herd, which to me doesn't seem like it feels the right answer. I know that that no. is not scientific at all, but sometimes going with your gut feeling is is also appropriate. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've touched on some really important points there, and and one of them is that as a farm vet, I've not I I've not always felt proud to be part of the industry. I still don't always feel proud to be part of the dairy industry now it's one of the reasons i did what i did you know i want to change things mm. again be the change you would like to see um there are some things that i wouldn't attempt to defend within the dairy industry um and yet they are as they are it is as it is and and one of the things that i don't like to defend i wouldn't de defend is is the is the high cow turnover rate which i think you alluded to there the culling rate and in america of course you know if you listen to an Amer an advisor who sort of comes from that american school of thought high input high output is we don't cull hard enough oh you, you, you your best cows are always a young generation you know to cull harder cull harder and one of my uh, farmers i work with uh, said to me recently who who, who you know his his average age at culling is only five years old said mm. oh my consultant said i'm not culling hard enough i need to cull harder and i said well where, where's the sustainability in the economics in that there isn't um it is a complicated situation as you, as you, as you then alluded to and described in that we have in britain a very very diverse dairy industry we have everything from on the one hand the high input, high output, all year round carving, let's call it the American system, Holstein herds, mm. housed all year round, doing 12,500 litres per cow per year. And then on the other hand, to the other extreme, we have the type of herd type which is epitomised by the New Zealand system, spring block carving, the cows are doing 4,500 to 5,500 litres milk per year, and they are some of them never house some some of these farms are they, the cows are out wintered in the winter months during the dry period when the cows are dry not dry weather dry cow mm, yeah and um and they're a grazing system so they're extensive and as you said gut feeling and mine too is that that is the more sustainable system 
And truth be known, I'm going to put my cards on the table here, which might make me unpopular with some people. That is my preferred system. If I was a dairy farmer and I had a choice of system, I would farm in that way. I think you get a better quality of life. I think there's less stress. I think it's more profitable yeah. and it's more sustainable. However, it is more complex than that. And of course, we have what I missed out there is that the majority of farms in Britain are somewhere in between those two extremes. So we've got a big pool of farms that are there. What I missed out there is, is that not every farm, because of the environment, in, as in the geographical environment they live in, and, and where their land blocks is lo are located, can farm in that extensive way because you need to have access, the cows need to have access to all the fields. Yeah. And so a, a lot of farms that have plots of land here, there and everywhere, and the cows can't have access to all the fields. So, you know, there's, there's those sort of localized geographic constraints. Yeah. And then looking more holistically, there's a confusion, let's say, about what is the most sustainable approach, because there are some people, some advisors, experts who would say, well, the carbon footprint of your intensive farms that are doing 12,500 litres per cow is much lower than the carbon footprint of those extensive herds that are doing 5,000 litres per cow, because you have less cow overhead in other words if each cow is considered one methane producing unit you're going to get a hell of a lot more milk out of less methane producing units from your high yielding system hmm. i think those calculations are flawed because they don't take into account then the, the the next part of the big picture which is well what are the inputs and and how about the carbon capture of the the the, the uh, pasture land that that are associated with the grazing field, the grazing farms, as opposed to the, the 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 intensive farms that might have, for example, very high cost inputs such as soya, which in in their own right has an environmental impact. So it's incredibly complex, and I'm not expert enough to know the answer. I am happy to work with both types of farm. Both can be done very very well. Both, unfortunately, can be done badly. Yeah. So welfare is, you know, you can have a very extensive system where the welfare of the cows is very poor and an intensive system i remember speaking to um you know vets in the past work who have managed these and you know welfare potentially can be very high although well, yeah i mean you don't you don't get twelve and a half thousand liters per cow in 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 yeah. a poor welfare system it's impossible to do it you've got to you've got to be i mean it's, it's a lot more complex it, in, yeah. it involves a higher level of skill and, and expertise you know i guess the analogy might be this is these are thoroughbred horses yes. the equivalent of that you're managing uh, as opposed to not to do down the, the the grazing cows but as opposed to pit ponies not yeah. to do down pit ponies either but yeah. but they're a more robust animal so yeah. yes it, it, welfare wise again it's a difficult one to call i like to see cows outside grazing as do a lot of farmers um i you know and i think a lot of people like that it's it's uh pastoral isn't it it feels it like is pastoral it, it, yes and I, and I think it, it's difficult to replicate the 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 environment the, the benefits of the outdoor environment inside however it is possible and herds do it and yeah with care so for example you know and this is a minor point but having grooming brushes for example to overcome boredom having plenty of space having very good lying surfaces the reason why cows are kept inside on those 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 high input systems is because it's impossible for a cow 
on those kind of systems to meet its nutritional needs through grazed grass alone. So, of course, yeah. if you're providing feed, not necessarily in concentrate, but in form of what's called a total mix ration, which is, you know, silage mixed in with yeah. with, um, with 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 with, well, straight cereals, yeah. etc. Um, th then then it makes sense to have them on an indoor system. In fact, you can only yeah. do it on an indoor system. Or if you're robotic, and robot farms have a huge, a lot of welfare benefits to the cow because they're voluntary milking systems. The cow can come and go when she wants to be milked. And a cow giving a lot of milk can get milked more often, more frequently, which is kinder to her, her udder. Um, and yet those lend themselves more to an indoor system. So it is complex. Yeah. I do like to see cows outside grazing, but that's not to say that cows indoors cannot have their needs met and be yeah. happy and live a fulfilling life as well well as always i think one of my locums once said to me if you've got two vets in the room and they both agree with each other then one of them is not a vet it's this is the conundrum isn't it that it's very difficult i think as you get older you realize it that there are it's not all black and white there's a lot of gray in between isn't it yeah, <laughs> it is all grey, and I, I, we rely on other experts. Experts in this area, like I say, it's working collaboratively again, isn't it? Because mm. it, it really relies on experts, uh, environmental experts, really, to help us mm. through this this minefield, which is what is the most sustainable and correct way to be farming yeah. our cows. Owen. Oh, it's been fantastic speaking to you as always. A wide-ranging conversation um, from one old vet to a much younger one, obviously. <laughs> Thank years. you for acknowledging that. Yeah, you get the you get the you get the brownie point now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really appreciate your time and and thank you for all that you're doing in the industry because I think this uh, strategic role that you've taken on in the last ten years has has been really beneficial the whole uh, cattle profession cattle veterinary profession so thank well you. thanks Adney. no it's been a privilege to um, to speak to you this morning so thanks for the opportunity thank you owen and thanks everyone for listening hopefully see you on a podcast very soon take care bye-bye thank you bye-bye